Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Crews battling the massive Dixie Fire in Northern California are expecting challenging conditions over the next two days. Forecasters have issued a local red flag warning starting at 3 this afternoon and going through 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Winds are expected to pick up substantially, and a lot of the smoke that's been covering the fire zone is expected to clear, which means there will be much less humidity. The fire has burned almost 570,000 acres and has destroyed more than 620 homes. Thousands of residents remain under a mandatory evacuation order this morning. Well, researchers know that wildfire smoke can make people more vulnerable to severe lung infection. A new study from Harvard estimates that inhaling wildfire smoke contributed to the deaths of hundreds of Californians due to COVID-19 last year. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. On September 9th, 2020, more than two dozen wildfires burned throughout California, including some of the largest in state history. And in the Bay Area, the skies turned so hazy, people couldn't see the sun during the day. It just felt scary, you know, that day I remember, like, it looked different, like dark, reddish. Susana Villanueva shows me a photo of her sister, Maribel, at the home where they lived together in Oakland. This is her. Right, I think this was for my mom's birthday right here, and she's right here. And this is Susana remembers her sister started coughing during those smoke-filled days last September. Air pollution skyrocketed. But Maribel kept going to work at a daycare. She walked and took the bus, wearing only a cloth mask. You know, I do remember her saying, you know, before we even knew that she had COVID, she said, oh, you know, she felt cold-like symptoms. And um, she said, oh, you know, I think it was the smoke that really affected me, and that's why I have this cough. Maribel's symptoms got worse. She died from COVID in early October. She was 46 years old and a single mom. She left behind a young son. Definitely there's, there's times where, you know, I mean, if I miss my sister, I'm pretty sure he misses his mom. 
Alameda County, where Maribel Villanueva lived, saw one of the biggest spikes in COVID-19 deaths linked to the smoke last year, according to a new study published in the journal Science Advances. Researchers found that higher levels of air pollution from western wildfires amplified COVID-19 cases and deaths in several counties in Oregon, Washington, and California. This study, for the first time, I think, to make the clear link between climate change and the pandemic. Francesca Dominici is a professor at the Harvard School of Public Health and one of the study's authors. The drought and heat are a major driver of larger wildfires in the state. These megafires emit toxic particles that can travel thousands of miles. Wildfire exposure and COVID are actually really dangerous combination together. Wildfire smoke can hurt the immune system and its response and make people more prone to lung infections, including from COVID-19. People can protect themselves from the smoke by staying indoors with windows and doors shut. But that's not an option for people who have to work outside their home, especially in low-income communities of color. John Balms is a pulmonologist at the University of California, San Francisco. They're also at greater risk for uh, COVID-19. So it's an environmental justice issue that you know, our society should be dealing with. He thinks local governments should do more to provide N95 masks and portable air filters to lower-income families, especially essential workers, like Maribel Villanueva the daycare worker who died in October. Her sister says they don't know for sure if the smoke made her COVID symptoms worse, but Maribel didn't have an air filter at home or an N95. After Maribel's funeral, Susana took custody of Maribel's son. He just turned 11. She tells him, You know, I will never be able to replace your mom, but I'm here, we love you. I want you to know that we care for you. So just taking it one day at a time. One day at a time, but she knows they'll miss her forever. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Hundreds of thousands of students will be returning to the classroom today in California's largest school district. Masks will still be a requirement for students and staff at LA Unified Schools, and there will also be weekly COVID-19 testing. Another major mandate, all district employees will have to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 by October 15th or face possible termination. Dr. Samita Malhotra is the medical director for LA Unified, who has a daughter that goes to school in the district. Sending my child back to school knowing that she is not vaccinated, these additional mitigation measures gave me that extra, it's like multiple layers of protection around my daughter. And I know that that is in school, you know, versus taking her to the grocery store. According to the school district, more than 12,000 students have opted for online learning, which makes up only 3% of the overall student enrollment. Well, there is concern that the recent spike in COVID-19 cases in San Joaquin County could spread to neighboring areas. KQED's health reporter Leslie McClurg explains. Hundreds of people are testing positive every day in San Joaquin County. The case positivity rate is significantly higher than the state's average, suggesting the virus is spreading fast. Stockton is the hotspot. 
The brunt of the wave is hitting unvaccinated residents between 20 and 40 years old. Experts say the surge could leak into nearby counties with low vaccination rates like Madera and Merced counties. They don't expect that trend in the Bay Area where the vaccination rate is higher. However, patients may be treated at hospitals in the Bay if San Joaquin hospitals are overwhelmed. Public health officials are urging younger residents to get their shots. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. With population data from the 2020 census just out, we're starting to get a look at how California has changed over the last decade. As KQED's Taiki Hendricks explains, the data now jumpstarts the work of redistricting, drawing the maps that will define legislative districts for the next decade. Russell Yee is a theology professor from Oakland. He's also one of 14 citizens on the state's Independent Redistricting Commission. He says with COVID, the commission is holding dozens of public forums online to get input from Californians. People can email us. People can draw a map on a napkin and mail it into us. Commissioners need to make districts with equal population and protect the voting rights of minorities. The new census data shows California's diversity has continued to grow. Latinos are now the state's largest single ethnic or racial group, and the Asian population grew much faster than the state as a whole. That's according to Hans Johnson, a demographer at the Public Policy Institute of California. Between 2010 and 2020, California was receiving two or even three times as many immigrants from Asia as from Latin America. And that's a big change. Many feared the pandemic and interference by the Trump administration would deter people from responding to the census. But Johnson says California spent tens of millions of dollars on a huge campaign to get people to participate, and it looks like it paid off. We spent far more in this census than any other state and far more than we had in the past. The redistricting commission has until the end of the year to draw boundaries for 52 congressional districts. That's one less than we have now. And all our state legislative districts. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Now to a new investigation from the LA Times, The Guardian, and an environmental news collaboration called Floodlight. They found that in 2017, an industry group hired Southern California residents to push for natural gas alternatives to diesel trucks, which are stoking pollution around LA's hyper-busy port complex. They paid advocates who say they believed they were working with an environmental campaign and were told that natural gas was the sustainable solution, even as environmentalists were pushing for electric vehicles or EVs. Reporter Miranda Green helped break this story. We spoke earlier and I started by asking her how the residents involved got these jobs in the first place. Two of the people that I spoke to actually said that the job listing that they applied to and that they got was advertised as an environmental fellowship. And it was through a company called Method Campaign Services. So many of the people we spoke to thought that they were doing um, pro-environment jobs. Uh, One woman I spoke to said that she thought she was actually standing up for sustainability. And it was pitched to them that natural gas was much cleaner than diesel. And because the switch could happen quicker, that it made sense to get the community towards natural gas trucks instead of waiting a longer period of time for the technology to catch up and to be mandating electric trucks. And how did they ultimately find out who was really paying them and what was their reaction? Many of them didn't know of the natural gases industry's connection until actually I spoke to them. Uh, Some of them had inklings. Two people I talked to actually said that they found out that there was a connection 
while they were going to tabling events. That part of their job was to go to get out kind of the vote, get out the hearing meetings in the communities around Long Beach um, and trying to get locals to come out to hearings and speak on behalf of the transition to natural gas. And they realized by looking at the pamphlets that they were given to hand out to locals had logos of local natural gas companies. And that's when they started realizing, hmm, I actually think method might be connected to the natural gas industry. And this isn't just a push towards a cleaner option, but there might be something more behind this. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, what were your interactions with method? Were they open to answering questions? And, you know, is there any merit to the argument that natural gas is in fact a, a transition, you know, and one that might be better for the community? Method campaign said that it would not speak to us about the specifics of its payment. But what we were able to figure out is that uh, Method campaign's uh, founder, it's it's uh, president. Right. And he's married to a member of the planning commission. What does that entail? So as part of her job, she has to provide uh, where she gets her family's finances from. And we found out that her finances showed that Method campaign got a $10,000, at least $10,000 payment through uh, Clean Energy Fuels Corps, which is a company that owns various natural gas stations across Southern California and is a big push and kind of a big leader in the fight against this move away from fossil fuels in the state of California. Wow, so direct financial ties there to the industry. What are you hoping comes of your reporting, Miranda? I think this just is another example of a trend that we're continuing to see here. The natural gas industry really being creative in its way of pushing its its messaging. Um, I think it's, it's a straightforward example of what many people call astroturfing, which is where something at its core looks like it's a grassroots movement, but really is ultimately being backed and financed by a larger organization. And while it's not illegal in what they did, it is obviously highly questionable to pass, you know, regulations and to pass um, policies in local areas that change based off of what many people think are coming directly from locals, but at the end of the day are actually influenced by the industries that they are actually trying to regulate. And mm-hmm. so, you know, this is one example that we we were able to uncover here in Los Angeles, but it's just uh, one example of many that we've seen across the country of this happening. All right. Well, Miranda Green, thank you so much for your reporting. Miranda is an investigative reporter at Floodlight. Thanks so much. Thank you. And in case you are wondering, the campaign by the paid industry advocates, it worked. Port officials voted to transition to natural gas trucks. And Miranda says that's the path they've been on ever since. And that's the California Report for this Monday, August 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.